This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Monday, October 3rd of 2019, it's episode 163. In this episode, Jenny and Peter collaborate again, this time for Peter's new D&D game. Plus, statting ourselves out with the default array, some background on Peter's game, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And we are sure to host tonight. Uh, Grant has a work thing with an extremely tight timetable, so he won't be on this episode. We're hoping to have him back for next one, but yeah. as we always say on here, life comes first. So yes, we're hoping that works out for him and we get him back next time. But if not, mm-hmm. well, you'll just get some more of us. One other quick note, the uh, the material created in this episode, like the last time we did this, be seeing actual use very soon. Mm-hmm. I would refer the uh, the listeners back to a blog post called Filling the Gaps on the Saving the Game website. This is going to be for a, a new game that I have started up with actually some listeners of ours from the Discord channel, and the first session is going to be session zero, and that will be happening... 10 days from when this is recorded on October 13th. So looking forward to that. Um, Got a group of five players assembled and we're going to actually be running through the setting that I am planning on setting the game with our, our main group, the STG host and friends group, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) But I'm setting it in an area where some of the, the stuff that I am waiting on from Kickstarter to arrive early next year isn't going to be quite as relevant because there's something else going on in that part of the world. And that's part of what we're going to be covering here. So uh, one quick note, if you are one of the players in that game, do not feel like you have to skip this episode. There will probably be, I suppose, some kind of minor spoilers, but I would direct you back to episode 125, Positive Metagaming, and say it's fine. It's really fine. I mean, pretty much everybody who like listens and reads the blog knows the big underlying secret of the the setting, anyways. So yeah, and like th- th- this is more along the lines of reading a setting book before a game rather than reading the module before the game. So so like this yeah. is this is the setting book, not the module, as it were. Yeah, exactly. Jenny could not have put it any better. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so, do you have anything, Jenny? Um, not really. We didn't get to game uh, last Saturday uh, with with the kiddos because there was a another more different uh, event happening at the library that sort sort of had to trump gaming. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and but unfortunately, hopefully... our actual gaming group is still having life problems it, yeah. it seems like we're all taking turns as to who's like emergency or priority or social Whatever. obligation it is that knocks us off yeah. this week but yeah it's been like a month and a half or two months since we've actually gotten a game which kind of stinks but yeah um tis what it is we're all adults at least on my end it's looking like we're gonna have the majority of the gaming group all there uh this coming saturday um so, so yeah that, that'll be good yeah yeah we'll We'll see what happens. I'm hopefully Grant will be done with his work thing by then, and then we mm-hmm. can just kind of enjoy. But yeah. 
let's get ourselves a Patreon question and then some scripture, and then let's get into our topic, um, which is, by the way, Jenny and I are going to be doing another collaborative project. Mm-hmm. Um, since last time was in her world, this time it'll be in mine. Just to kind of be explicit about it, we kind of inferred that in the opening, but yeah, we're going to be working on some various things in the Shingalvan archipelago, which don't worry, I will explain what that is when we get into the main topic. Mm-hmm. So let me pull up the questions table and roll a die here. Okay, this one is from Douglas Underhill. If you statted yourself as a 5e character... How would you allocate the default starting array of ability scores? Are we doing the point by system? Let, let's no, set that up using, from the start. Let, are standard, we doing... standard array. Standard array is um, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, 8. Oh, oh so, hang on. I got to write that down. Hang on. I'll put it into here. Okay. 16, 14, Sorry, it's 16, 15. I think the 14 was the extra. It's mm. 16, 15, 13, 12... No, no, put that 120 back. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... I am going to have to write this down. Hang on. I've actually got some spare character sheets literally right in front of me. Let me see. Actually, the 15 might be the 14. But whatever. whatever. It's a a descending array. Yeah. Um, Let's see here allocating the default starting array not like i got some pretty low stats in general like i don't know how to do this because well just imagine it's heroic jenny okay heroic jenny uh <laughs> and boy am i <laughs> boy am i actually i'm gonna leave the bold face no, on leave, leave the jenny. bold face in there jenny. <laughs> um this is this is where I'm glad we edit because we can sit here and stew on this for as long as yeah. we need to, and then it, we'll just be able to cut it down to a nice succinct length in the actual episode. Yeah. Mm. All right, I'll I'll go first while yeah, you're thinking. Yeah, you, you go while I think. I'm I'm choosing between two stats. Okay. <laughs> I'm waffling real hard. <laughs> waffling like an ego factory. Yeah. All right. So. I went with strength 12 because I am, uh, I'm not like super big and, you know, physically powerful, but I am decently strong. I, this was probably at least a 13 when I was back working at Barnes and Noble in my old receiving manager job. It's definitely gone down a little bit, but, um, yeah, I've got a decent amount of upper body strength. I went with dex eight because <laughs> I'm very much a klutz. That's okay though, because I have a um, a high con score. I put the the second highest score in Constitution, which was the the fourteen or the fifteen, and I'm not sure which it should be because I didn't actually look this up. My PHB is out of reach at the moment. Uh, I put the thirteen in intelligence. I work in a technical field. I'm relatively smart. I'm good at piecing stuff together and that sort of thing. The sixteen went into wisdom. Uh, I tend to be very introspective. I have a decent amount of life experience. I've kind of got, you know, that side of myself is probably the thing that I feel like I am the most in touch with. And then charisma is just a standard 10. (laughs) I don't think I'm significantly more or less than the average person in that regard. Yeah. Okay. I'm still kind of waffling. Like, this is... If I am 
given a set of numbers that I have to like jam into slots, I guess this and, is And you are because that's I, how this question I, works. <laughs> yep. So strength eight, uh dexterity thirteen, constitution ten. And here's where it gets wacky because like this is I don't think I'm this smart. Fifteen intelligence, sixteen wisdom, and twelve charisma. That would be the Uber Jenny. Um, I so I am Uber not Jenny. <laughs> I I am not strong. I actually used to be kind of strong. I when I was working out, I was kind of strong, but now I'm. I down mean, you were a rugby eight. player, so oh, that has nothing to do with strength. Absolutely nothing. It just has to do with it. honestly. That's more of a dexterity thing. All right, fair At enough. It's. I mean, it's known to be, like, a rough and tough, like, kind of sport, so... Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If we're just talking about tackling ability, which I do still have, that is entirely dexterity. I am... When I was playing rugby, I was 110 pounds, and I could, and easily did, take down people about one and a half times my weight. It's not about strength. It is about dex. And how quickly you can just, like... (laughs) slide down them and hopefully pants them. You're actually hoping for a pantsening. Um, so that's entirely dex. Constitution 10, I'm very average in terms of constitution, but only in the sense that, like, my body... I, I don't get, like, ill very often, but I get nauseous about stupid things. I uh, have really weak joints in a lot of areas, so it's sort of like... I'm really, really good in some areas, really, really bad in other areas. It evens out to 10. Int and whiz, I... Eh, people are like, eh, you're smart. I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm smart. I, I'm really smart in in some very select areas, but other than... Here's here's what's, what makes me sound smarter than I am. I'm very good at language, and, and that just makes me sound very, very, very smart. I'm not... Um, I'm I, also willing to give you wise beyond your years and filled with a lot of perspective. I've, I think I've known you give, for long enough where I can give you that. That's fair, but I also think people give people of my age not enough credit. <laughs> so, like, I think I'm average wisdom. Okay, I I will agree with you on that. However, okay. I worked with a bunch of other very like mature, thoughtful, hardworking, you know, really good people. About your age, and I would still put you above a bunch of them. And okay. I, I worked with a bunch of people that I have nothing bad to say about mm-hmm. in my retail career. I, you know, you, you yeah. see a lot of retail workers that are in their, like, early and mid-20s, right? It's mm. a job that you do starting out a lot of the time when you're in college or you're trying to just get your foot in the door in the workforce or that sort of thing. Yeah. And I was also in a bookstore, which is kind of a, a little bit, you know, better read mm-hmm. um, and more educated crowd than your average pool of retail workers, just because they self-select for it, right? Like yeah. the people who want to work in a bookstore and who get through the interview process, which asks about like, you know, what you've been reading lately and would recommend yeah, are the sort of people who are, you know, a little bit more educated, whether that's self-educated or formally educated. Mm-hmm. And yet I stand by my previous statement. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. And then Charisma 12, because uh, I've been made aware that I'm adorable or whatever, I guess. I don't know. You're definitely the most compelling of the three of us on streams. I th- I'll, I'll give think... you that. You've 
I think that's just because I blasted out on more social media. Like, I don't think it's 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 anything special. No, I mean, um, you are the most entertaining of the three of us to watch on a stream. Okay. Like, you, you tend to be more uh, engaged and dynamic in mm. your streaming style. Okay. So I can see a little bit of kind of the the public speaking kind of thing there in a I little guess, bit. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I will also say that, that I am significantly better at speaking when I'm on a mic. Like at when I'm at work, when I'm actually at in an, in an environment where I am most knowledgeable and comfortable, I stutter and stumble over my words a heck of a lot more when I'm not like when I'm not on a mic. Um, so honestly, if it was like Jenny on the mic specifically, I'd have actually swapped, uh, charisma and intelligence. Okay. Cause, cause like I, I am more conscious of how I'm speaking. Um, I, I stutter a lot at, at work. Um, I'm stuttering thinking about it now. And of course, <laughs> all right. Before Jenny's sentence, head explodes here, acknowledge it. I don't. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's get into our scripture here. Yeah, let's do uh, that. <laughs> Doug, thank you. That was a fun question. Um, we, you'll, you will not hear the huge amount of silence as we basically just sat there and went hmm <laughs> for about three minutes each before we started talking about that one, um, <laughs> because I will edit it out. But uh, it was there, so. <laughs> It was thinking. It's just the three minutes of dead air doesn't make for very good podcast radio. Uh, okay, so let's get into our scripture. I'm going to start here with Leviticus. This is Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And I'm taking Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 22, verses 28 through 35. They are a nation without sense. There is no discernment in them. If only they were wise and would understand this and discern what their end will be. How could one man chase a thousand, or two put ten thousand to flight, unless their rock had sold them, unless their lord had given them up? For their rock is not like our rock, even as our enemies concede. Their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are filled with poison, and their clusters with bitterness. Their wine is the venom of serpents, the deadly poison of cobras. Have I not kept this in reserve and sealed it in my vaults? It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. And we have Romans twelve seventeen to 21 Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you... Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, tonight's topic is going to be creating... Uh, some various random stuff in the Shingalvan Archipelago. I made it up and I still have trouble pronouncing it. <laughs> this is this is for the game that I'm going to be running with some listeners. They are going to basically be a crew that sails around and explores and 
perhaps fight some pirates and that sort of thing. They, the official title is Explorer Privateer, and we're going to get into kind of who they're working for and stuff in a moment here. Uh, first, a few basic parameters about this particular world. Technologically speaking, it's standard D&D fantasy tropes layered on top of a default tech level of about 1750 to 1780 or so. So roughly the American Revolution slash Napoleonic era. So like the beginnings of guns and stuff? Well, the beginnings of what we currently think of as guns. So you've got like, you know, the very first rifling... Uh, you, you've got, you know, tall ships, you've got, um, actual navigation, you know, cannons, that sort of thing. But what you don't have is the internal combustion engine, the steam engine, electricity, any of that, you know, kind of like modern technological stuff. Um, you don't have cased bullets, so you don't have like repeating firearms, you don't have railways so you don't have trains and that sort of thing so it's it's kind of like the the very cusp of rolling over into the industrial revolution but it's not quite there yet also it's important to note that this is not the first time an age of post-medieval technology has existed in this world it's actually the third so most recently a few thousand years back there was a batch of advanced technomagical civilizations clockwork uh, magic power sources uh, think about the same level of advancement as something like Eberron or uh, possibly even like the Iron Kingdoms. People know about this age. Um, it's kind of, you know, kind of to us like the classical world of like Rome and Carthage was or would be in the real world. This is kind of to the people of the setting. So people know about it and are actively interested in salvaging its leftovers. Let's uh, to give you an example of kind of something analogous here. Imagine if you could get the recipe for Roman concrete, which is still better than anything that we can make in the modern world. They're just not 100% sure exactly what formula the Romans used or how they pulled it off or what's going on there. Uh, There's some theories about salt water actually making it stronger over time, but we don't know for sure the last I checked anyways. So yeah, there's, there's stuff worth salvaging from that previous world and then way way back like a million years or so there was a very advanced non-magical civilization that fought a war against an assortment of elder evils and ultimately prevailed but at the cost of its own existence so there are a number of ancient ultra tech vaults with the aforementioned uh, elder evils and their minions uh, in stasis in them scattered around the world But thanks to um, advanced self-maintenance routines, they're still active. And because it was such a long time, most of these ruins are buried by now, often pretty deep and not just under like soft earth, but under rock. I mean, this was a geologically significant time ago. Mm. Um, So that is a forgotten age. Now, elements of that will factor into other stuff that's going on in this setting, but I don't really particularly want to lean on it for what we're doing here. It's just some background stuff. However, there is a bit of a, a gold rush on some of the previous or that kind of middle age stuff. Mm-hmm. The The world is experiencing a period of expansion by its major geopolitical powers. So landmass is distributed a little bit differently than it is on Earth. So there really isn't an old world and a new world. Uh, like the, the major landmasses are close enough where there's been like travel back and forth between them for 
a much longer period of time than there was on Earth. You didn't have kind of that large ocean separating the two hemispheres on either side. But there's definitely some gobbling up of territory by the more technological societies from the less technological ones. So in the region the PCs will be operating in, there are three major empires competing for resources. There's Karkovia, which is kind of um, the moral middle of this, but still bad. They're setting up settlements in disregard of whoever might have been there first and then defending themselves if the people who were there first try and force them off their new holdings. They will work with natives to a certain extent, but trade deals are often very kind of unfair and one-sided. Uh, they are well-trained, well-equipped, and have um, a very professional army and navy. They use them to enforce their will on their colonial holdings. So for this, I want you to think England or France during the Age of Sail. You know, they're kind of convinced of their own superiority because, hey, we're the Europeans, you know, and they're they're exploitative, but it's not just a... They're not just sending massive armies to just try and conquer the area by, you know, force. They're not just, like, pouring military, you know, forces across to just fortify the whole area immediately and just, like, you know, sweep across it, burning everything down. They, they want the resources. They want colonies. They want to maybe send some of their a little bit more undesirable people off somewhere else. Uh, Venerex, on the other hand, is a little more like the huge armies moving out to conquer everything. Uh, they're a, a dragon empire. They make no pretense of cooperation and just conquer and subjugate whoever they run across through raw military might. Um, they're taking advantage of the rapid speed at which dragonborn can be born because eggs uh, to bolster their army. The majority of their troops are types of classes that rely very little on equipment. So barbarians, uh, monks, pugilists, that sort of thing. There's, what is there's a, a pugilist? Lot of, it is a third-party kind of strength-based unarmed class. Cool. So you've got like your street fighters and your boxers and that sort of thing are the subclasses mm. for that. And then there is the uh, empire that the PCs will be working for, which is called Stellivorn. And Stellivorn is deliberately taking a much more respectful approach. They offer the benefits of being part of their empire to... Native populations, they allow them to keep their existing leadership, religion, and culture, and they offer common defense and a connection to the Stellivorn trade network. In exchange, they ask for taxes, troops, and cooperation with the rest of the empire. Um, this is part benevolence and part differing priorities. They are actually more interested in the lost magic and tech than in territory and population, though they will gladly welcome and take the other if it's allowed. If that initial offer is turned down, they will also offer to scout any uh, prior era ruins, remove the threats, share all of the knowledge and half of the material goods recovered with the hosting culture. If they're turned down again, the no answer is respected, but both offers remain open indefinitely. Um, so this is this is who the player characters are going to be working for. Uh, I kind of based this on like all carrot. No stick, kind of based on the Achaemenid Persian Empire under Cyrus the Great. Obviously, they were not that morally simple. Mm. Um, they still would conquer people that told them no through force of arms, often quite brutally. But, hey, this is a fantasy setting. So <laughs> we're going to have the good guys, the neutral guys, and the bad guys here because that's how I find it easier to run a game. Mm -hmm. So I have been talking an awful lot. Um, none of these empires like each other very much, but... Let's actually get to the making of some stuff and see how much we can get in in the, the remainder of the episode here. So, okay. you, so, Jenny, so there was, why don't you 
pick something from this list. <laughs> yeah, so... Hmm. Or you, you've got the, something else so, to say. Uh, I do, because it's not on the list. Okay. I'm we can add to the list. question about the Vanaraks, because I, I don't know how much you've fleshed them out beyond what you've written here. Are they all dragonborn, or are they dragonborn under rule by dragons? The latter. Under rule by dragons. Okay. Yes, there there is an actual, like, dragon aristocracy. Okay. Is being a dragon, like, contagious? Like, like that, that's, that may sound weird, but, like... It's not like lycanthropy, no. It's okay. The the way that I have it, I would it love work, to do a setting with that, but yeah, that it, would be it, interesting. It was, yeah, it would uh, be the, very cool. The way that it basically works in this is there is like a magical transformation that dragons can do on dragon eggs to split them into a larger number of dragonborn eggs. Okay, which then hatch as normal and grow quickly and become like adult dragonborn who work for the dragon most of the time. Okay. They still have free will, but they bond to the the dragon that they are um, descended from. Okay. They can defy their parent. They just often don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So. So sh- how many dragons are involved there? Should we like, should we flesh out their hierarchy or are we going for more of a geographical kind of thing? I am mostly concerned about what's going on in this archipelago. Um, Vanarax itself is going to be something of a fortress state, and I don't think the PCs are going to be visiting it directly anytime soon. Yeah, these are just kind of here to be, I guess, the terrifying evil empire with seemingly endless numbers that just swallows everything in its wake. Okay, so... I'm guessing then the, the the PCs will be hanging out mostly in the Stellivorn holding. Well, there's a lot of unclaimed territory. The okay. the colonial rush happened just within like the last ten years. Oh, of okay, so that resetting okay, time. Okay. So yeah, this is this is something that's really just started. To, I mean, you know, there were earlier explorers and stuff before then, but it, the the competition has really just ramped up in the last decade. Okay, so, so in that case, so, so are we starting them in the Stellavorn holding, or are we starting them elsewhere? Well, the the player characters will, the first session will involve them getting orders from uh, their boss in a Stellavorn city. Okay, so uh, should we make um, a sort of a main hub city for Stellavorn? Sure. I haven't done that, and I know we need it. So the one thing that needs to go there, um, first of all, is the Admiralty, because they're going to be working for an Admiral. So that's that's got to be there. In fact, actually, I even have the specific guy picked out. So. Okay. So Admiralty located in Main Hub City. So you've mentioned Archipelago. Is this Archipelago based around volcanic islands? Or yes. is it... Yes. Um, this is... Okay. And it's it's a fairly large archipelago. I want you to think like um, the Caribbean or the Philippines. Okay. So you've got several thousand islands, but a mm-hmm. lot of them aren't very big. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you'll you'll have an island that's like, yep, that counts as an island. I can cross it in less than a minute. <laughs> okay. I can so literally, just walk across the island and then yeah. All right. Um. So the main hub city could be like one of the larger islands. I would say. I like the idea of and feel free to veto this i like the idea of vineyards based around volcanoes 
just because okay. it was really just rich soil of the volcanic in the area. Soil and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So d- does right. that make sense? Growing, you know, grapes for wine seems like a mm-hmm. a nice kind of a thing that a benign empire would do. So yeah. All right. Larger island, vineyard-based trade. So main hub island, sort of smaller islands radiating around off of it. Or sure, like, if it's volcanic, that would that would make sense. Yeah, like uh, I'm just there's... I'm just trying to think of, of logically like. So I'm guessing that the Stellaborn Empire, like its its actual like capital city and like base and everything, is like on a larger continent, whereas. Yeah. This archipelago but is sort this, of close This could be their by. headquarters in the area. So I'm just wondering if those headquarters should be more like the biggest island that is closest to the Stellaborn Empire. Yeah, probably. It, that makes okay. sense. Or at least the, the largest one that would agree to be part of the Empire. Yeah, so, yeah. So let's see here. I I had Stellaborn to the northeast of... Um, the archipelago, so we'll stick this in kind of the northeastern quadrant of the archipelago. I don't have a map yet or anything. You're not missing anything. It's just... So, I'm guessing because it's a larger island, there would have been a native population there. Also, you mentioned that the the Vanaraks are primarily dragonborn. Are there any uh, standard uh, PHB races that are or are not prevalent in this setting? Uh... All of the PHB races are in the setting except for anything that's native to the Underdark. So no Drow, no, no Svurf Neblin, no Duragar. Okay. Um, I guess the the Svurf Neblin and Duragar and, are in expansion books, but standard are, yeah. D&D races exist except okay. for anything native to the Underdark. All right. Any uh, more prominent in Stellavorn than the other empires? Stellavorn has a lot of humans. Um, okay. They have a larger than normal number of halflings. Okay. Uh but because of the way that they expand, they have literally everything. And okay. the Empire very, like, strongly incentivizes everybody getting along because mm-hmm. everybody does better that way. They have kind mm-hmm. of established a uh, positive some world philosophy. You know, the okay. better you do, the better I do kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so what would the native population be like? You've mentioned lots of halflings. I think people put halflings in not enough, like, varied environments. It's like, oh, they travel around a lot, or, oh, they're like hobbits and they live in, you know, hills and valleys. No, give me, give me variety of hobbits. (laughs) So, should the native populations there have been halflings or gnomes or something like that? Okay, so there's kind of a wide variety of different peoples that live in this archipelago. Um, Mm -hmm. You will see basically anything out of any of the different fantasy ancestries that I'm using. So, um, once again, except for anything that's native to the Underdark. um, Okay. I'm trying to decide whether, A, the Underdark doesn't exist in this world, or B, it's just full of ancient vaults and, like, Lovecraftian monsters. But either way, there's not a whole bunch of, like, warring subterranean races duking it out down there okay not in this setting um so i've just taken anything under dark based and chucked it everything else is basically there like okay. um at this point like everybody has moved everywhere so much that wherever any given 
like species came from is something for like anthropologists to study. Okay. And they're not going to come along for like another 150 years, at least in this setting, because nobody cares that much right now. Mm -hmm. So if you've got an idea for like an island that's half populated by tabaxi and the other half is gnomes, lay it on me. <laughs> like right. I just want to fill this up with interesting stuff. Okay. Oh, I have I have a sort of a, a sideways idea. Okay. And it's more to do with the economy of the native populations. So like how about they like like the the tech trade that they were the most interested in was like proper sterilization techniques for food. So so if anyone's ever done any brewing, I haven't because I'm allergic to alcohol, but my friends have and they've told me about this. It's very 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 bad to get any kind of uh, bad bacteria in any kind of fermented thing that you're trying to make. So like th this is obviously still like 1700s tech. Level, one one other thing that I should throw magic, out there. So, yeah, yeah, I am okay if a few of these like small isolated societies are actually more advanced than the Ooh. colonial powers are. Okay, like, like leftovers that. of Atlantis kind of stuff. Think about gotcha. that. Okay, okay. I, I oh, uh, most of them probably won't be. You'll have a lot of like you know um, people who. I mean, it's warm here. You fish. You pluck the fruit out of the tree, you sleep in the hammock, it's a good day. You Yo. know, it's like if if you're not fighting constant wars, it's it's kind of idyllic. So, Yo. OK, OK, OK. Hang on. I would love to go with like the more advanced side of that thing. What if there was like there's the elder vaults and whatever. I, I, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about more right. along the lines of these people have have been basically blessed with a massive amount of old tech on this main hub that would actually make it an excellent main hub for the Stellavorn. Um okay so the the vineyards are nice and the and the agriculture is relatively easy there but like there's old tech and it's in the and it's big old tech okay how's how's this for an idea the major hub city is base is built on the ruins of an older city that was wiped out in such a way that didn't do a whole lot of damage to like structures and inanimate objects. So maybe okay. like the volcano just emitted a massive cloud of poison gas and everybody oh, died yeah. from that. But yeah. it didn't like dump a whole lot of like lava and ash or that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So they came on like this spooky old ghost city with like yeah. all of these, you know, skeletons like sitting at tables and that sort of thing. And yeah. once they'd kind of cleared all that out and figured out what happened, it was like, mm -hmm. oh, well, we've got all of these, you know, nice intact buildings. Like there's some of the, you know, there's like these old spell tablets that are, you know, like scribed on these metal plates and what we figure was a magic school. Mm -hmm. Those still work like. All of this stuff is here. Nobody who ever used it originally is still alive. So let's set up here. All right. That's not how you spell volcano. There we go. So I guess the real thing here is wonder how concerned the people from Stellavorn are about that volcano gassing everybody again. Hmm. I imagine they would be working really hard to sort of protect the main 
settlement oh, oh, area. I've, I've got a I've got another idea that's kind of neat. So based on some of what they found in the old ruined city, mm-hmm. they actually sent crews up like the side of the mountain, mm-hmm. and there are massive like forty foot glowing warding glyphs carved into the stone. Okay. Like a magic like protection circle Mount Rushmore <gasps> up oh, at oh. the peak of this mountain. Oh, what if it wasn't finished? Like what okay, if the, they're still the working original up there? population like was trying really, really hard to like like they knew the poison gas was gonna come out and then they like all got gas before it could finish. Okay. Or is that... Th- yeah, no, 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 I, I like this. So they, they actually, okay. like, the people from Stellivorn, like, were able to, to use the notes and, like, finish the project yeah. that this ancient civilization left behind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a cool bit of history. I can go with that. Okay. But I, I definitely like the idea that this this enormous, like, volcanic peak is just, like, carved with these massive magic runes that are designed to trap okay. any poison gas that come out of the volcano. Okay, so that's cool. Yeah, uh... Okay. So, all right, um, so we're going to say that this island was basically like a ghost town when they, you know, they found it. Maybe there were some animals living here and stuff, but there were no okay. other sapients. Uh, um, what about, what are your thoughts on golems? Oh, yeah, maybe a few of those were wandering around, some kind of constructs or something. Yeah. Hmm. I don't have anything analogous to Warforged in this setting. Okay. But, um, like... So there's not like a, a player character type that can be a, a construct, but that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean there no can't be any that were intelligent. They're just not playable. Okay. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe a few of them. Like, aren't you know, there in? I, and I know this is this is uh, not PHB, but in in Xanathar's, aren't there like tiny, like small constructs as a thing? I'm trying I think to remember they're in Xanathar's. Called. I think they might be in Volo's Guide, but yeah, I no, mean, I'm, they're in I'm using so much because I don't have Volo's Guide. Oh, okay. Anyway, well, they're in Xanathar's. Okay. Well, in any case, I was going to say I'm using so much third-party material, anyways, that if I need to find something like that, I can. Yeah. So, <laughs> worst-case scenario, I can always make it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sure. There were a bunch of like little. Have you played Fallout Four? Yep. Okay, so Cogsworth at the beginning. Yeah. Where you come across him and he's like, oh, it's just been terrible. <laughs> I've been ever so lonely. I know, but yeah. like, I wasn't even thinking that level of intelligence. Just sort of like like a golem stuck in a walk cycle sort of thing. Like oh, He's just like worn a hole in the ground or something? Yeah, pretty or? much. Um, <clears throat> or, or like tiny little little sort of errand runners that are just running the same errands over and over again, you know. I, I just, like the idea that maybe, like, a bunch of the messenger ones have just been mm. running the same scrolls back and forth between, like, the t- same two, like, post office oh. locations on opposite ends of the city yeah. for centuries. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's there's just, like, these little spidery, like, message carrier things that just, like, grab a scroll and, like, scurry across the city carrying it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they've just, they're just, like, dragging, like, little bits of parchment back and forth at this point. Like, yeah. it doesn't even have anything written on it anymore. It's yeah. just, like... <laughs> the tiniest scrap of parchment left. I like that. Yeah. I like that idea. So, yeah, I think that's a good basis of, of like, how this hub came to be so far. And, like... Okay. Vineyard-based trade. Archipelago doesn't necessarily mean hot, does it? 
It doesn't, but in this case it is. It's okay. equatorial. Okay, so, equatorial. Yeah, uh, I, you know, think like the climate of the Caribbean. So, okay. Uh, what about a big desert island? Or like a midland-sized desert island for interesting natural areas? Okay. Maybe like a rain shadow effect or something is going on there. There's like a big mountain at one end of it that kind of blocks um, precipitation. Uh, that, or I was sort of also thinking of like... It just, it's just sand. Like, okay. not, it's nothing like, special. It's just, it's, it's far away from everything else where seeds don't get here. And it's just kind of yeah. like, yeah, okay. It's just sand. Like maybe, maybe there's a bit of like that, that, um, thing, that effect you mentioned that I should remember the name of, but cannot. Rain shadow? Rain shadow effect. But it's just a lot of sand and it's not super helpful. It's just <laughs> desert. Oh, I've got an idea for that, because it can't really be used for anything else, mm -hmm. and nobody lives there because it's just, like, lifeless, arid sand. Mm -hmm. There is a... It's like a diplomatic hub. Like, if the empires mm. need to, to parley on neutral ground, there's, like, a building in the middle of it that they, they all sail up to the edge and they, you know, mm -hmm. schlep their way in, inland, yeah. and they all gather around this thing in the middle and talk. All right. Uh, what else do we have here? We've got um interesting prior world ruin, but I feel like we kind of covered that in the Stellivorn holding. We've yeah. got this this mostly intact city that just kind of got depopulated by volcanic poison gas. Yeah. For legendary monster or villain, I know I know you said the elder evils weren't going to come into it. What about just a little one? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's the thing, right? Like, the Elder Evils are, like, actual, like, you know, Cthulian Elder God kind of stuff. Like, yeah. you know, this is this is your Nyarlathotep, your Hastur, your Aboth, you know, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. But, like, some ancient lich or death knight or something left over from, you know, a, a nastier, like, kind of Middle Age empire... That could totally be kicking around here or some, like, ancient sea monster or something, you know? Like, we still got, we got stuff that can be kind of Elder Evil-y without being the stuff in the vaults. Okay. Oh, what about, okay, so you mentioned sea monsters. What about this one really big monster that, like, all of the native populations of the area have a different name for? Go on, I like this. So, so, so it's just like suddenly there's all this, you know, communication going back and forth, and it's like, oh no, yeah, we we definitely saw this thing. It had, you know, this giant, this massive shell with spikes on it, and it, it just sort of like snapped up one of our boats one day, and it was terrible. Oh wow, yeah, that sounds like it's really tragic. We had a similar thing, but it was just like a whole bunch of of. Uh, you know, like tentacles and fins and stuff, and it just gobbled up a, uh, one of our ships, you know, a bunch of years back. And it's like big enough that it's like the same monster. Just, just everyone's seen different parts of it. Like, okay. like, like their, their mother's, uh, uh, great uncle's cousin in law saw it for sure that one time kind of thing. But okay, so I've, I've got an interesting idea for this thing. You mm -hmm. know how squids have ink where they, you know, they can, like, turn the, the water black around them and stuff? Yeah. 
What if something like that, but instead of turning the water black, it turns it like white or a light gray or something and just makes it opaque? Oh, milky. So it almost looks like um, subsurface fog Ooh. is kind of what I'm thinking of. Okay. And then that, this also explains, because the water in this area is pretty clear, like it usually is in like a, a tropical area that's mm-hmm. equatorial. So in order to have this thing be kind of ambiguous and stuff, I I feel like it would be cool if it like secreted something into the water that yeah. Yeah, makes it like, m- you know, milky and hard to see through. Yeah. Um, and then attacks. So like mm-hmm. if, you know, if you're sailing along and the water around you like turns white or something like that, it's like, oh, it's in the area, you know? I also had a a thought that this might be a little bit too nasty, but what if it also makes the water acidic? Hmm. Like it starts eating away at boats and stuff. I associate milkiness with, I I mean, it could be acidic, but I associate milkiness with basic materials. But that's also also very corrosive to organic stuff. stuff. So like if you're dealing with wooden boats... It's gonna heck yeah, up. Yeah, the, the water, boat. the water turning super alkaline mm-hmm. is not gonna be a good thing. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with that. So the the water turns milky and alkaline, and like you're sailing along, and all of a sudden you can't see the bottom, and like your hull starts sizzling or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or like crumbling. Crumbling. Yeah. I almost wonder if we just created our our non imperial faction too, like maybe the um. The native populations have started putting together, like, a group of people that know about this thing to start, Mm. like, trying to figure out some way of combating it or at least avoiding it properly. Mm. So there's there's some kind of, like, a a coalition around this monster. I like that. I mean, there could always, you know, there could always be more than one in there, too. Like, we can we can do multiples of any of these. But I I definitely like the idea that especially because if they're starting to talk to each other about it, like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is way too big for us to take on by ourselves. What on earth are we going to do? Yeah. All right. That's cool. We've barely touched on the Karkovian holding. Okay, so Karkovia, just to give you a little bit of flavor there. They are, think like English and Central European. So think like yeah. Germany or England or like, they're kind of warhammery. They've got that kind of like superior European yeah, feel I was, I was to them with like, like, like condescension. Have, to the yeah. And they've degree. also, they've also very much got like titled nobility, right? Like okay. you are the Baron of X. You are the Viscount of Y. Um, okay. You are, you know, the Earl of Z, that sort of, you know, like, yeah. that's that's very much a part of their culture. Okay. So, so I'm guessing they have royalty. Oh, yeah. What if they yeah, just they've... had a queen right now? I actually, I already know the name of the king of this particular okay. nation. So I just don't have that particular page of notes in front of me. But okay. yeah, they, they, they have a king. It's actually, it's still like a feudal state in a lot of ways. Okay. So, interesting note. This is the country that the player characters in the main gaming group's game are going to be having a holding in. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you guys cool. don't get to be part of the the good guy country. You guys are going to be part of the neutral country. <laughs> okay. <laughs> More opportunities for GM chicanery that way. Yeah. So I'm guessing they would also have um, less of a, like, so, so like, with the Stellavorn holding, that's going to be... There, th- it's 
I'm picturing it very much like they are working with their environment and sort of optimizing the environment given to them. Whereas with Karkovia, it sounds more like they would try to just do normal farming wherever and make normal farming happen wherever they go. Yeah, yeah. They'll they'll probably like, you know, squeeze agricultural techniques that work in this climate out of the natives, but yeah, they're going to probably just be trying to grow things Clear like wheat and, and stuff here. Yeah. All right. So sort of like clear cutting big fields and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Your your typical just you know this is mine now you know yeah. kind of a thing like I will clear this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have crops to grow. I don't care that your sacred forest was here. Yeah. Okay. So, so like- I'm thinking for them because they they are so focused on like maintaining like this you know this professional military and that sort of thing. They need some kind of like a naval supply depot as a big part of their presence in the region. So they they need to be someplace where in this age they can cut a lot of timber because everything on these ships is made of wood. Mm -hmm. So maybe they found like a pretty large size island that's covered with trees that make particularly good masts or something like that. And they just were like, yep, this is ours. And they set a fortress up there and Mm -hmm. they, you know, they've been kind of building out from that fort. And let's see here. We we need like a native population on this island because mm-hmm. they, they got to have somebody to be kind of having like tense relations with. And mm-hmm. maybe there's a, a group of the natives that have decided that these people are not good to have here and are trying to get, you know, get rid of them through. Let's, let's put them in non-imperial factions then. I mean, a, a bunch of forest gnomes might be kind of a scary native population to be dealing with if you're the Karkovians, mm. right? I mean, yeah. They can kind of blend into the forest. They've got a strong druidic tradition, so they can, you yeah. know, like summon up vines and stuff to mess with your loggers and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're smaller than Karkovia is a majority human civilization. Yeah. So, like, a bunch of forest gnomes would not be something to be trifled with, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. And then maybe if you want to go for, like, some of the other kind of more um, druidic y feeling. Racial options, like maybe they've got a couple of Furbolg or something like that, you know, for if you want something a little more imposing or something or uh, like Alcyads or Centaurs or something, if you want something else that's a little less bipedal. Yeah. But I I definitely like the the forest gnomes. Mm -hmm. Like those seem seem like they would be a a bad native population to try and just like force out of their own home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Especially if you can't just cut the whole forest down because it's valuable yeah. raw materials and you want it later. Yeah. That seems like they would just make your life very difficult indeed. Actually, this this kind of, there was like some island off of the coast of the U.S. that had like a specific type of tree that was specifically, you know, really good for a mast or something, but. I think I remember hearing about that, yeah. Yeah. It was actually, I think it actually turned into like a naval advantage or something for a while because they had access to this specific type of timber. So, uh, okay, so we've got that. Um, I have a name for a Vanarak city, but I don't have really anything about it except for the name and what it kind of looks like. It's called um, White Cliffs. And the reason why it is called White Cliffs is that it's at the 
The city itself is at the end of like a bay. And there are these large chalk cliffs like on either side of the city. Hmm. And there's like a fort at the top of each one of them. And because this is Venerex and not some less nasty empire, the, everybody in the city is very much aware of the fact that the cannons from the forts can also hit the city. Yeah. So they've got like troops up there and stuff kind of all the time. But obviously, you know, they can they can also defend the city if somebody tries yeah. to sail in there or that sort of thing. Yeah. So Also, just just sort of vaguely thinking uh from what I know about chalk cliffs, and this isn't the case with all of them, but the ones that I'm f- most familiar with also have a lot of flint, which just sort of fits in my head with dragons and like, yeah, fire yeah that works. Stuff like that. I don't know. It's a bit of a tenuous yeah. connection, but yeah. yeah, it's an it's a neat detail. Yeah. So maybe that's something that they actually dig out of there or something. Mm-hmm. They probably don't need anywhere near as much chalk as they've got, but yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering about, I know we've already got one, but another interesting prior world ruin that, like, is sort of, the ruin itself is hostile to outsiders. Okay. I'm trying to think of what, like, one that would be close to the Stellavorn holding. Maybe, like, even so that you can sort of see it if you have a good enough vantage point. Some sort of ruin that has, because I, I, I sort of got stuck on the, uh, the, constructs stuck in a cycle the cycles at the Stellavorn holding are fairly harmless but what if the cycles were worse <laughs> or so maybe this was like a military facility and you've got a bunch of combat golems wandering around stabbing anything that they see that isn't one of them yeah maybe not that far because you also mentioned you didn't want like full-on warforged or anything and that's probably getting a little too close to that i mean you could um, be just talking like something like an iron golem or something at that I'm- point thinking more along the lines of like a science facility gone wrong oh so there's all kinds of like weird mutated stuff running around there because it's had like a couple of millennia to just kind of like fester yeah bask in like weird alchemical you know pools and bizarre magical fields and stuff and so you've got like the whole thing's just full of crazy aberrations that have totally adapted to like the the really strange ecosystem there and can't really live anywhere else but yeah like it is really a bad idea to set foot there unless you know exactly what you're doing where you're going yeah. and how you're going to get out yeah i'm thinking so sort of like the um that really big arcology in uh um shadow run that no one can really get into anymore oh the one full of the bug spirits in chicago or i don't know i thought it was seattle um Oh, it's, I it's mean, like, there's probably more than one. I don't know Shadowrun all that well, so. Uh, it was far more relevant in Shadowrun, uh, like, second edition. Like, it, this uh, is old okay. Shadowrun stuff. But I actually had nightmares reading that setting book. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, then. It's, it's, it's big bad science. AI gone wrong kind of thing. But, oh, oh, I've got a great idea for this. Mm-hmm. What if it's all crazy, like, hostile plants? Ooh. Like shambling mounds and like bizarre extraplanar vegetation and oh, like so yeah. you, we could we could take like a little bit of a page from um, uh, Annihilation the the movie yes. version where it's like all this scrambled life that's turned into yeah. these crazy things and okay, stuff. Okay, I like that. And then it's you know obviously full of like bizarre alchemical deposits and like weird yeah. magical fields and possibly living spells and all kinds of stuff like that, but. 
Like yeah. most of the stuff that's wandering around there is plants. Because that would that would also like explain why stuff is still here, right? It can pull mm-hmm. nutrients from the soil and do photosynthesis and that sort of thing. It it yeah. doesn't need to have like a, a cycle of predation and stuff. It yeah. can just pull it from the ground. I like that. I sort of also like the idea that like because this island was so close to the Stellaborn holding, it was the scientific base of oh, maybe that's why the poison gas from the volcano happened at all? Like I, I know I'm trying to I'm trying to science a magic thing and it's not gonna work, but like um maybe the poison Oh, so like the poison gas from the volcano from the main volcano might also have killed all of the scientists at this facility. It drifted out here and took out all the researchers too and then yeah, and broke then up over the wild. water and kinda dissipated. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense, especially if this other island is, like, in the direction of the prevailing wind. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I really like that idea. So it's like, you can, you know, like, you can stand there, like, on the parapets in the, the main city and just, like, grab your spyglass and be like, yep, that massive oak tree thing is pounding on those vine things again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, sure glad I'm not over there. What's uh-huh. that purple cloud? You know? <laughs> Yeah, very much. Yeah, in fact, actually, that big toxic cloud might have been the thing that set off some of the the weirdness, too. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, like it interacting with other stuff. Yeah, it like got into some like active alchemical experiments or something and yeah, bad chain reactions happened. That would even be like a, a good explanation for any kind of like weird mutated fish or anything. Mm-hmm. In fact, actually, this... I'm going to leave this ambiguous for now, but this might actually be the uh, origin of this giant water monster. Oh, yeah. That turns the the water into this alkaline stew and stuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. it sounds like the place where this could have come from, ultimately. For sure. I like that. (laughs) Somebody was like, look, I have created a shark crab squid. (laughs) it It is the size of my hand. And then things happened, and it just kept getting bigger and getting more yeah. weird powers. And <laughs> now it is the terror of an entire area. Yeah. Okay, do we have anything else on here that we need to fill in? Are there any, like, more, like, fey creatures or fairy creatures? Or is that... Are you st- sticking that more with, like... There's an extra plane for that kind of stuff. There is, but any place where there is untamed nature, the kind of the walls between that extra plane and this one get a little bit thinner and you will definitely see their influence. Okay, so how about like an island where like the planes really cross over real hard and it's just like an island with a lot of fey creatures. You've basically just got like a chunk of fey wild sitting in the middle of the ocean, huh? Okay, Um, I like that. I like the idea that maybe there's, like, a permanent Aurora Borealis kind of effect over it at night. I like that. So it's, it's like, and maybe even, like, a constant, like, rainbow effect over it during the day. So you've got kind of, like, this constant fey glamour, regardless of what time of day it is, where there's, like, all of this vibrant color and stuff that you can see mm-hmm. in this area. And it's just, like, all of the vegetation is just, like, extra lush and stuff. It looks like, um, you know, some... Yeah untouched portion of the Amazon that somebody flew over and 
dropped like three full planefuls of fertilizer on 30 years ago and then yeah. left alone again. Yeah. Like, it's just everything is flowering. Everything is just, you know, like you can probably smell like the, the flowers and stuff like mm-hmm. 10 miles away. Yeah. Again, feel free to shoot me down on this. What if that island is one of the ones that the Vanaraks tried and failed to take over? I like that. Like, <laughs> we're going to conquer this island. No. And the Fae have pushed us back into the sea. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, actually, you know what? Um, the Vanaraks are pretty uh, persistent. Mm-hmm. Let's say there's like almost an artificial reef of busted up Vanarak ships Ooh. off the coast of this thing. That's yeah. like really hard to navigate at this point because they threw yeah. like a hundred ships at it and they lost them all. Mm-hmm. So maybe you you get like um actually you know what this might be our our pirate haven too <gasps> like you, this because the pirates don't mess with the fae on the mainland they're not trying to conquer it they just want a place where nobody else wants to go so yeah. they've set up in like this big like ship graveyard and like lashed stuff together and built like temporary structures and stuff in here and yeah. they'll sail out of this cuz they're the only ones that know how to get it in and out safely yeah Plus, you know, Fae and pirates, you know, there's, you know, the chaotic alignments. They get along fine. Yeah. So I think there's one thing that we've neglected here mm-hmm. that just kind of came across or came to my mind as we were recording. And that is, this is a fantasy setting. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of warm water and we have not accounted for any underwater races at all. We don't oh. have mermaids. We don't have tritons. We don't have Lokatha. We don't, nothing like We should probably put some underwater civilizations in here, don't you think? Okay, so I am trying to remember there are certain gases and substances that do not float on top of water. They are always going to sit in the middle of water. I'm trying to remember what they are. But what about an island like that, like a floating but not floating, like, submerged, moving, floating island that goes with the currents. Okay. That's kind of interesting. And then maybe, like, the currents are really, like, super stable in this area, so it's almost got, like, a known route or something. Yeah, yeah. So maybe this is, like, a mobile Triton trading post or something? They'll When they start getting close to areas they know are populated, they'll surface, they'll go trade with the natives or even the empires. Yeah. Uh, question, what's the difference between tritons and merfolk? Uh, legs. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> as right. far as, I mean, it's a little bit of a flip answer, but as far as I can tell, legs. Like, okay. <laughs> tritons are bipedal instead of, like, you know, fish from the waist down. Okay. So I bet they can also, like, go on land for a little while mm-hmm. as well. Yep, they can okay. breathe air and water. I actually have a second um, aquatic race that can also do that and is also bipedal that way uh, called the Kraken, um, which is kind of like the Kraken version of an Asimar or Tiefling. Okay. But I am saving those for cold water. Um, mm-hmm. I've I've got those up kind of off the coast of Kharkovia mm-hmm. and they, they like like much chillier water, like North Atlantic kind of stuff. So... I don't want too many of them here. We can have a few, obviously, because everybody's everywhere. But yeah, 
You know how, like, if you take somebody from Scandinavia and you stick them in Florida, they will just, like, a fin or something, they will just complain about how hot it is all the time? Oh, uh, yeah. That would be a kraken in this water. Yeah. Now, <laughs> like, how, do you, how do you spell that? Uh, K-R-A-K-I-N. This was a neat third-party race I found on the DMs Guild. That does sound really neat. The, uh, the cover art alone was enough to sell me on this idea. Oh, no, that's not what I wanted to hang on a second. I did not mean Kraken. You're going to have to send me a... Oh, I found no, it! No, that actually is. That's... that's. It is Krakenkin. Okay, they look really cool. I was yelling at yeah. Google, not at you. Like, it, it oh, was okay. like, you meant Kraken, didn't you? No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I love, like, the, the little, like, almost, like, beard of small tentacles and, like, yeah. the fins and stuff like that. The blue skin is really cool looking. Yeah. Like, I like the tail. Yeah, they, I mean, whoever the artist that did that, like, 11 of 10, you know, like, yeah, really good. Yeah. That's really cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, like I said, I, I saw that and it was like, okay, this is going in the setting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. But yeah, like I said, I, I'm kind of holding them for, like, colder waters. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, you could have a small group of them that are down here, maybe, you know, trading with some of the other underwater races, but... Mm-hmm. They're going to be hot and uncomfortable all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel things like um, Sahagin and Kuotoa and stuff are probably going to be around, but they're probably also going to stick to, like, the deeper waters. Yeah. I I think Kuotoa in particular are kind of, they kind of like oceanic trenches and stuff, don't they? Or am I misremembering? I don't know who those are. Okay, they're fish people i mean like yeah they look a little more like anglerfish than sharks like the sahagin okay. do yeah i think they're supposed to be totally not deep ones i also do like the idea of just like fully sapient octopi that can communicate somehow because okay. we know the the ones in the real world are super smart real smart really really so, smart they just don't like really have the tool language usage centers. and decorating their homes and stuff yeah mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I like the idea that, like, they're, as, they're every bit as smart as, like, a human or an elf or something, but, you know, they just look really different, and they have, maybe because of magic, they've figured out how to communicate somehow, whether it's, yeah. like, making signs with minor illusion or talking with the tongue spell or something, they've, you know, yeah. made it work. Well, we're at about an I, hour and 15 minutes here, and are. I've got a bunch of really nice material. Thank mm-hmm. you for helping with this. No problem. My pleasure. Probably wrap it up here unless you've got any other really fantastic ideas burning a hole in your, you know, cerebrum and which case no, I'll take them, but Not not especially just like Yeah. I th- I think it's good so far. And if I do come up with any, I will let you know immediately cuz Okay. Cool yeah, site. I would appreciate it. All right. Especially since you aren't playing in this particular game, I mean like Yeah. You know, give me stuff to surprise my players with. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, man. I, Hang on. Hold up. One oh. of the octopi has got to wear a suit. It's got to be like a... a well, this is like the, like you know, the, the late character. 1700s, too. So this octopi comes up out of the, like, Octodad style. It's like walking yeah. on a couple of its arms and it's got <gasps> like the coat and tail and there's a tricorn hat on its head. How stuff. did I forget about Octodad? <laughs> kind of like Octodad, but like... Like, uh, Rokuko. 
That sounds like an anime reference, which you know I don't know very well. Oh, so. no. Rococo is just a, a, a fashion style from 1700s France. Oh, oh, okay. That. I. It yeah. sounded more... Yeah, okay. I thought it was a... Uh, an anime thing because no you <laughs> no yeah okay yeah yeah i could definitely <laughs> that's a great mental image yeah like I, you know i mean the setting itself is is you know definitely a little more on the you know the darker side with some of the history but i do yeah, like having sure. some fun stuff in there too yeah it's i don't like, like my settings on... to be bleak it's like you know? that turning on that that version of fallout new vegas where granny's ambush you behind a club with baseball bats <laughs> I've never played that version of Fallout New Vegas. It's very fun. I highly recommend it. I I got ambushed behind a club by a bunch of grannies wielding baseball bats. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. It's called something like Insane Mode or whatever, where it's like the combat is actually a little bit harder and weird stuff just randomly happens and spawns. It's very huh. funny. All right. Well, let's wrap it up here then. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you, folks, for listening. Um, Hopefully we will have Grant back for next one, but it's always fun to do a uh, collaborative project with one of my co-hosts. And as you have heard for the second time now, Jenny and I tend to work very well together for some reason. So, um, Our minds frequently work parallel very, very well. Yeah, yeah. Similar aesthetic preferences, I think, is what it comes down to. Yeah, especially Um, with fantasy. Like, I would love to do some sort of collab with you on, like, sci-fi things, which we have not done at all. Um, We should get around to that at some point, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the next time, like, one of us is running a sci-fi game or something, we'll have to do that. I'd also love to get Grant in on that one too. Just cause oh yeah, I'm sure. I, I with all the do... science fiction that Grant has read, yeah, I'm sure he's a font of good ideas for yeah, that. Yeah, sort of and like I've done nothing super duper collaborative with Grant. Yeah, like I would love yeah. to. Yeah, I keep trying to get him to, and the scheduling never works out. So yeah. it's like next time and we're Grant stuck does for a have topic interesting again. setting ideas. I've I've played in a couple of worlds that he's made, and he's definitely got some skills there so oh, for sure yeah all right well um folks uh if you like what you've heard and you're wondering where to find more of us we are at stgcast.org uh we also have a patreon as you heard kind of at the beginning of the episode that's where our random question table comes from but i think for now we are just going to go ahead and sign off so mm-hmm. uh, have a good one folks and we will see you next time see ya This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.